A History of the Philippines by David Barrows Chapter 8, Part 1 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Chapter 8 The Philippines 300 Years Ago Condition of the Archipelago at the Beginning of the 17th Century The Spanish Rule Completely Established At the close of the 16th century, the Spaniards had been in possession of the Philippines for a generation. In these 35 years, the most striking of all the results of the long period of Spanish occupation were accomplished. The work of these first soldiers and missionaries established the limits and character of Spanish rule as it was to remain for 250 years. Into this first third of a century, the Spaniard crowded all his early feats of arms and exploration. Thereafter, down to 1850, few new fields were explored, but all through the 17th century, the missionaries were Christianizing the conquered peoples. The survey of the archipelago given by Morga, soon after 1600, reads like a narrative of approximately modern conditions. It reveals to us how great had been the activities of the early Spaniard and how small the achievements of his countrymen after the 17th century began. All of the large islands, except Palawan and the Moro country, were, in that day, under encomiendas, their inhabitants paying tributes and for the most part ready to embrace the Catholic faith. The smaller groups and islets were almost as thoroughly exploited. Even of the little Catanduanes, lying off the Pacific coast of Luzon, Morga could say, quote, They are well populated with natives, a good race, all encomiendas of Spaniards, with doctrine and churches, and an alcalde mayor who does justice among them. End quote. The Babuyanes at the north of the archipelago were an exception. Quote, they are not encommended, nor is tribute collected among them, nor are there Spaniards among them, because they are of little reason and politeness, and there have neither been Christians made among them, nor have they justices. End quote. In 1591, however, the Babuyanes had been given an encomienda to Esteban de la Serna and Francisco Castillo. They are put as having 2,000 inhabitants and 500 tributantes, but all unsubdued, todos alcaldos. On some islands, the hold of the Spaniards was more extensive in Morgas Day than at a later time. Then, the island of Mindoro was regarded as important and in the early years and decades of Spanish power, appears to have been populous along the coasts. Later, it was desolated by the Moro pirates, and long remained wild and almost uninhabited, except by a shifting population from the mainland of Luzon, and of pirates from Sulu. The Encomiendas As we have already seen, one of the vessels that followed the expedition of Legazpi brought orders from the king that the island should be divided in encomiendas among those who had conquered and won them. Note 1. Relacion de la Conquista de Luzon, 
1572, page 15. On this instruction, Legazpi had given the Filipinos an encomienda to his captains and soldiers as fast as the conquest proceeded. We are fortunate to have a review of these encomiendas, made in 1591, about 20 years after the system was introduced into the islands. Note 2. Relacion de las encomiendas existentes en Filipinas, Retana, Archivo de Bibliofilo Filipino, Volume 4. There were then 267 encomiendas in the Philippines, of which 31 were of the king and the remainder of private persons. Population under the encomiendas From the enumeration of these encomiendas, we learned that the most populous parts of the archipelago were La Laguna, with 24,000 tributantes and 97,000 inhabitants, and the Camarines, which included all the Bicol territory, and the Catanduanes, where there were 21,670 tributantes and a population of over 86,000, vicinity of Manila and Tondo, which included Cavite and Marigondon, the south shore of the bay, and Pasig and Taguig, where were collected 9,410 tributes from a population estimated at about 30,000. In Ilocos were reported 17,130 tributes and 78,520 souls. The entire valley of the Cagayan had been divided among the soldiers of the command which had effected the conquest. In the list of encomiendas, a few can be recognized, such as Igig and Tugegarao, but most of the names are not to be found on the maps of today. Most of the inhabitants were reported to be rebellious, alcaldos, and some were apparently the same wild tribes which still occupy all of this watershed except the very banks of the river, but nonetheless had the Spaniards divided them off into repartimentos. One soldier had even taken as an encomienda the inhabitants of the upper waters of the river, a region which is called in the relation Pugao, with little doubt the habitat of the same Igorot tribe as the Ipugao, who still dwell in these mountains. The upper valley of the Margat, or Nueva Vizcaya, had not at this date been occupied and probably was not until the missions of the 18th century. The population among the Visayan Islands was quite surprisingly small, considering its present proportions. Masbate, for example, had but 1,600 souls. Burias, a like number. The whole central group, leaving out Panay, only 15,833 tributes, or about 35,000 souls. There was a single encomienda in Butuan, Mindanao, and another on the Caraga coast. There were a thousand tributes collected in the encomienda of Cuyo, and 1,500 in Calamianes, which, says the relation, included Los Negrillos, probably the mixed Negrito population of northern Palawan. The entire population under encomiendas is set down as 166,903 tribute or 667,612 souls. This relation is one of the earliest enumerations of the population of the Philippines. Barring the Igorots of northern Luzon and the Moros and other tribes of Mindanao, it is a fair estimate of the number of the Filipino people 300 years ago. 
It will be noticed that the numbers assigned to single encomenderas in the Philippines were large. In America, the number was limited. As early as 1512, King Ferdinand had forbidden any single person, of whatever rank or grade, to hold more than 300 Indians on one island. Note 1. Ordenanzas. La repartición de los indios de la isla española in documentos inéditos, volume 1, page 236. But in the Philippines, a thousand or twelve hundred tributantes were frequently held by a single Spaniard. Condition of the Filipinos under the encomiendas. Frequent revolts. That the Filipinos on many of these islands bitterly resented their condition is evidenced by the frequent uprisings and rebellions. The encomenderos were often extortionate and cruel, and absolutely heedless of the restrictions and obligations imposed upon them by the laws of the Indies. Occasionally a new governor, under the first impulse of instructions from Mexico or Spain, did something to correct abuses. Revolts were almost continuous during the year 1583, and the condition of the natives very bad, many encomenderos regarding them and treating them almost as slaves, and keeping them at labor to the destruction of their own crops and the misery of their families. Governor Santiago de Vera reached the islands the following year and made a characteristic attempt to improve the system, which is thus related by Zuniga. Quote, as soon as he had taken possession of the government, he studied to put into effect the orders which he brought from the king, to punish certain encomenderos who had abused the favor they had received in being given encomiendas, whereby he deposed Bartolome de Ledesma, encomendero of Abuyo Leite, and others of those most culpable, and punished the others in proportion to the offenses which they had committed, and which had been proven. In the following year of 1585, he sent Juan de Morones and Pablo de Lima with a well-equipped squadron to the Molucas, which adventure was as unfortunate as those that had preceded it, and they returned to Manila without having been able to take the fortress of Ternate. The governor felt it very deeply that the expedition had failed and wished to send another armada in accordance with the orders which the king had given him. But he could not execute this because the troops from New Spain did not arrive and because the Indians, who lost no occasion which presented itself to shake off the yoke of the Spaniards. The Pampangos and many inhabitants of Manila confederated within the Moros of Borneo, who had come for trade and plotted to enter the city by night, set it on fire, and in the confusion of the conflagration, slay all the Spaniards. This conspiracy was discovered through an Indian woman who was married to a Spanish soldier and measures to meet the conspiracy were taken before the mine exploded, many being seized and suffering exemplary punishment. The islands of Samar, Ibabao, and Leyte were also in disturbance and in the encomendero of Dagami, Pueblo of Leyte, was in peril of losing his life because the Indians were incensed by his thievings in the collection of tribute which was paid in wax, and which he compelled them to have weighed with a steel yard, which he had made double the legal amount, and wanted to kill him. They would have done so if he had not escaped into the mountains, and afterwards passed by a banca to the island of Cebu. The governor sent Captain Lorenzo de la Mota to pacify these disturbances. 
He made some punishments, and with these, everything quieted down. End quote. Note 1. Historia de Filipinas, page 157, et sq, period. Three years later, however, the natives of Leyte were again in revolt. In 1589, Cagayan rose and killed many Spaniards. The revolt seems to have spread from here to the town of Dingras, Ilocos, where the natives rose against the collectors of tribute and slew six Spaniards of the Pueblo of Fernandina. Note 2. Among other documents, which throw most unfavorable light upon the condition of the Filipinos under the encomiendas, is a letter to the king from Domingo de Salazar, the first bishop of the Philippines, which describes the conditions about 1583. Zuniga, Historia de Filipinas, page 165. Effects of the Spanish government. The Spanish occupation had brought ruin and misery to some parts of the country. Salazar describes with bitterness the evil condition of the Filipinos. In the rich fields of Bulacan and Pampanga, great gangs of laborers had been impressed, felling the forests for the construction of the Spanish fleets and manning these fleets at the oars. On voyages which took them for four and six months from their homes, the governor, Don Gonzalo Ronquillo, had forced many Indians of Pampanga into the mines of Ilocos taking them from the sowing of their rice. Many had died in the mines and the rest returned so enfeebled that they could not plant. Hunger and famine had descended upon Pampanga, and on the encomienda of Guido de la Bezares, over a thousand had died from starvation. Note 1. Domingo de Salazar, Relacion de las Cosas de las Filipinas, 1583, page 5. In Retana, Archive, Volume 3. The Tribute. The tribute was a source of abuse. Theoretically, the tax upon Indians was limited to the tributo, the sum of eight reales, about one dollar, yearly, from the heads of all families, payable either in gold or in produce of the district. But in fixing the prices of these commodities, there was much extortion. The encomenderos delaying the collection of the tribute until the season of scarcity, when prices were high, but insisting then on the same amount as at harvest time. The principal, who occupied the place of the former dato, or maharlika, like the gobernadorcillo of recent times, was responsible for the collecting of the tribute, and his lot seems to have been a hard one. Quote, if they do not give as much as they ask, or do not pay for as many Indians as they say there are, they abuse the poor principal or throw him into the pillory, cepo de cabeza, because all the encomenderos, when they go to make collections, take their pillories with them, and there they keep him and torment him until forced to give all they ask. They are even said to take the wife and daughter of the principal when he cannot be found. Many are the principales who have died under these torments, according to reports. End quote. Salazar further states that he has known natives to be sold into slavery and default of tribute. Neither did they impose upon adults alone, but, quote, they collect tribute from infants, the aged and the slaves, and many do not marry because of the tribute, and others slay their children. End quote. Note 1. Relacion. Page 165. 
pages 13 and 14. Scarcity of food. Salazar further charges that the alcaldes mayors, the alcaldes of provinces, 16 in number, were all corrupt, and though their salaries were small, they accumulated fortunes. For further enumeration of economic ills, Salazar detailed how prices had evilly increased. In the first years of Spanish occupation, food was abundant. There was no lack of rice, beans, chickens, pigs, venison, buffalo, fish, coconuts, bananas, and other fruits, wine and honey, and a little money bought much. A hundred gantas, about 300 liters of rice, could then be bought for a toston, a Portuguese coin, worth about a half peso, eight sixteen fowls for a like amount, a fat pig for from four to six reales. In the year of his writing, about 1583, products were scarce and prices exorbitant. Rice had doubled, chickens were worth a real, a good pig six to eight pesos. Population had decreased and whole towns were deserted, their inhabitants having fled into the hills. General Improvement Under Spanish Rule This is one side of the picture. It probably is overdrawn by the bishop, who was jealous of the civil authority, and who began the first of those continuous clashes between the church and political power in the Philippines. Doubtless if we could see the whole character of Spanish rule in these decades, we should see that the actual condition of the Filipino had improved and its grade of culture had risen. No one can estimate the actual good that comes to a people in being brought under the powerful government, able to maintain peace and dispense justice. Taxation is sometimes grievous, corruption without excuse, but almost anything is better than anarchy. Before the coming of the Spaniards, it seems unquestionable that the Filipinos suffered greatly under two terrible grievances that inflict barbarous society. In the first place, warfare with its murder, pillage, and destruction, not merely between tribe and tribe, not merely between tribe and tribe, but between town and town, such as even now prevails in the wild mountains of northern Luzon, among the primitive Malayan tribes. And in the second place, the weak and poor man was at the mercy of the strong and rich. The establishment of Spanish sovereignty had certainly mitigated, if it did not wholly remedy, these conditions. Quote, All of these provinces, end quote, Morga could write, quote, are pacified and are governed from Manila, having alcaldes mayors, corregidors, and lieutenants, each one of whom governs in his district or province and dispenses justice. The chieftains, principales, who formerly held the other natives in subjection, no longer have power over them in the manner which they tyrannically employed which is not the least benefit these natives have received in escaping from such slavery. End quote. Note 1. Successos de las Filipinas. Page 334. Old social order of the Filipinos, but little disturbed. Some governors seem to have done their utmost to improve the condition of the people and to govern them well. Santiago de Vera, as we have seen, even went so far as to commission the worthy priest Padre Juan de Plasencia, to investigate the customs and social organization of the Filipinos and to prepare an account of their laws that they might be more suitably governed. This brief code, for so it is, 
was distributed to alcaldes, judges, and encomenderos with orders to patent their decisions in accordance with Filipinos' custom. Note 1. Las costumbres de los Tagalos en Filipinas según el Padre Placencia. Madrid, 1892. In ordering local affairs, the Spaniards to some extent left the old social order of the Filipinos undisturbed. The several social classes were gradually suppressed, and at the head of each barrio, or small settlement, was appointed the head, or cabeza de barangay. As these barangays were grouped into pueblos, or towns, the former datos were appointed captains and gobernadorcillos. The payment of tribute. The tribute was introduced in 1570. Note 2. Blumentritt. Organization Comunale des Indigenes des Philippines. Traduide l'Alemand par A. Hugot. 1881. It was supposed to be eight reals or a peso of silver for each family. Children under 16 and adults over 60 were exempt. In 1590, the amount was raised to 10 reals. To this was added a real for the church, known as Sanctorum, and, on the organization of the towns, a real for the Caja de Comunidad or municipal treasury. Under the encomiendas, the tribute was paid to the encomenderos, except on the royal encomiendas. But after several generations, as the encomiendas decreased in number, these collections went directly to the insular treasury. There was later, besides the tribute, a compulsory service of labor in roads, bridges, and public works, known as the corvi, a feudal term, or perhaps more generally as the polos y servicios. Those discharging this enforced labor were called polistas. Conversion of the Filipinos to Christianity The population was being very rapidly Christianized. All accounts agree that almost no difficulty was encountered in baptizing the more advanced tribes. Quote, there is not in these islands a province, end quote, says Morga, quote, which assists conversion and does not desire it, end quote. Note 1. Successos de las Filipinas, page 332. Indeed, the islands seem to have been ripe for the preaching of a higher faith, either Christian or Mohammedan. For a time, these two great religions struggled together in the vicinity of Manila. Note 2. See Salazar's relation on this point. But at the end of three decades, Spanish power and religion were alike established. Conversion was delayed ordinarily only by the lack of sufficient numbers of priests. We have seen that this conversion of the people was the work of the missionary friars. In 1591, there were 140 in the islands, but the Relacion de las Encomiendas called for 160 more to properly supply the peoples which had been laid under tribute. Coming of the missionaries The Augustinians had been the pioneer order a few accompanying Legaspi. The first company of the Franciscans arrived in 1577. The first Jesuits, Padres Antonio Cedeño and Alonso Sanchez, had come with the Bishop of the Islands, Domingo de Salazar, in 1581. They came apparently without resources. Even their garments, brought from Mexico, had rotted on the voyage. They found a little poor narrow house in a suburb of Manila called Lagio. 
probably conception. Quote, so poorly furnished was it, unquote, says Chirino, quote, that the same chest which held their books was the table on which they ate. Their food for many days was rice, cooked in water, without salt or oil or fish or meat or even an egg or anything else except that sometimes as a regalo they enjoyed some salt sardines. End quote. Note 1. Chirino. Relacion. Pages 19 and 20. Dominicans came in 1587 and finally in 1606 the Recollects or unshot Augustinians. Before the end of the century, there were over 400. Division of the Archipelago Among the Religious Orders The archipelago was districted among these missionary bands. The Augustinians had many parishes in the Visayas, on the Ilocano coast, some in Pangasinan, and all of those in Pampanga. The Dominicans had parts of Pangasinan and all of the valley of Cagayan. The Franciscans controlled the Camarines, and nearly all of southern Luzon, and the region of Laguna de Bay. All of these orders had convents and monasteries, both in the city of Manila and in the country roundabout. The imposing churches of brick and stone, which now characterize nearly every pueblo, had not in those early decades been erected. But Morga tells us that, quote, the churches and monasteries were of wood and well-built, with furniture and beautiful ornaments, complete service, crosses, candlesticks, and chalices of silver and gold. End quote. Note 2. Morga. Page 329. The first schools. Even in these early years, there seemed to have been some attempts at the education of the natives. The friars had schools in reading and writing for boys, who were also taught to serve in the church, to sing, to play the organ, the harp, guitar, and other instruments. We must remember, however, that the Filipino before the arrival of the Spaniard had a written language, and even in pre-Spanish times, there must have been instruction given to the child. The type of humble school that is found today in remote barrios, conducted by an old man or woman, on the floor or in the yard of a home, where the ordinary family occupations are proceeding, probably does not owe its origin to the Spaniards, but dates from a period before their arrival. The higher education established by the Spaniards appears to have been exclusively for the children of the Spaniards. In 1601, the Jesuits, pioneers of the Roman Catholic orders in education, established the College of San Jose. End of Chapter 8, Part 1 Recording by Hilary Hoven.